In today's talk, we will speak about the particular characteristics of Buddhism. This is because you've come here in order to learn about Buddhism, both in theory and in practice. And so for this reason, we will begin by talking about the particular, the special characteristics of Buddhism. We ought to take a look at the origins of this thing we call Buddhism, or what in Thai is known as Buddha Sasana, the Buddhist religion, or the religion of Buddha, or teaching, Sasana, teaching of Buddha. Where does this, this word come from? This is a good place to begin because for many of you, it may seem strange to, to look at Buddhism as a religion. Many people consider that a religion must be built around faith in a creator god of some sort. And it is well known that in Buddhism there is no such belief. And so many people doubt that Buddhism is in fact a religion. Originally, Buddhism wasn't really even called a sasana or a religion. This is a term that has been applied to Buddhism in modern times, as especially as Western scholars have done their work on Buddhism. And so we will look at this, the word religion, and see how it applies to Buddhism so that we can clear up this possible confusion. So we have to begin by finding a definition of religion which will fit with Buddhism. And one such definition is very handy. This meaning of religion is that Religion is a system of, of observation, of observance and practice which develops or builds a relationship between humanity and the supreme thing. In many religions this supreme thing is known as God, but in Buddhism of course the supreme thing is not called God, and there is no belief in a God. But, however, Buddhism does have a supreme thing. And this thing, this supreme thing is the complete extinction of all suffering, of all mental pain, anguish, and dissatisfaction. When this, all this suffering is completely eradicated such that there is no remainder. This is the supreme thing of Buddhism. And so the meaning of religion, that religion is a system of observance which 
creates a relationship between humanity and the supreme thing. This applies equally well for Buddhism. If you'd like, you can also see Buddhism as a way of life. If, if you'd prefer not to consider Buddhism as a religion, then we can drop that word and just use the word a way of life. In fact, this is much closer to what Buddhism was known as originally. This word religion or sasana has been applied much more recently. But back in the Buddha's time, it was simply known as Dhamma. It was simply known as the Dhamma. And the Dhamma meant one's duty for survival and salvation. Dhamma meant the duty of survival and emancipation, which means basically way of life. And so if we, we like, we can just consider Buddhism to be a way of life, and this word religion isn't so important. This way of life, which we're talking about, is a way of life that is safe and free. It, it's a way of living that is not at all dangerous. It's a way of life that is free. It's not caught up or trapped in any imprisonments or traps. This is very important to understand that the Buddhist way of life is one that is not caught in any traps or prisons or jails. In certain religions that, that are built around the concept of a creator or a personal God, in this you find terms such as heresy and dogma or orthodoxy and heterodoxy. In these religions, for those people who are, are very foolish and have no understanding of the, very, or very childish understanding of the teachings of re that religion, they constantly fall into heresy. And this is one kind of trap or prison. But on the other hand, there is the trap of dogma, to, to believe to blindly follow the orthodox dogmas of any religion is itself another kind of trap. So all that one can do is change traps to escape from the jail of heresy to get caught in the prison of dogma. But in Buddhism, there are, there's not this duality, this these things called heresy and dogma. In Buddhism, there is no dogma, there is no trap that we have to get caught in. So the Buddhist way of life is completely free, free of any trap of having to conform to orthodox dogmatic views and opinions. Whenever there is dogma, whenever we are trapped in something, even in ideas, theories, and concepts. 
then that brings about mental pain and suffering. It brings about conflict or what we call in Buddhism dukkha. Dukkha is this mental unease or mental dis-ease. And this comes about inevitably whenever the mind is trapped in something. So for this reason, Buddhism sees any dogma as just another trap, just another source of dukkha, of mental unease and pain. And so Buddhism is a way of life that is completely free from all these traps. And so Buddhism is a way of life that is completely free from dukkha, from mental dis-ease, disharmony and conflict. Now, if you consider yourself to be a member of a certain religion, if you call yourself a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew or a Taoist or a Hindu or whatever, there's, there's no conflict or problem with that. Go on, continue being whatever that, that religion is that you uphold or adhere to. Or some of you may not follow a religion, but follow a certain political philosophy. You may be a communist or a fascist or a socialist or a libertarian or a something. What we're talking about really doesn't have anything to do with that. So you can go on being whatever ism or ist that suits you. But in addition to that, We're inviting you to, to take a look at and try out the Buddhist way of life. Not the Buddhist religion or philosophy, but the Buddhist way of life. Because this is the only way there is to eliminate suffering, to eliminate mental disease, dukkha. Whether 10,000 years ago, or now, or whatever time in the future. There is only this one way. There's only this way for humanity, for people, for men and women to free themselves from pain, from dukkha. There's just this way. So there's no problem with being a Christian or a Muslim or a Hindu or whatever or a communist or a capitalist. The thing is to take some interest in this, this way of freeing life from traps, burdens, and suffering. The way of life of human beings in any time or era is dependent on the, the awareness and wisdom of the people living at that time. In Buddhism, we use the words sati banya very often. Sati means mindfulness, and banya means wisdom. So sati banya is mindfulness wisdom. It's awareness and understanding, awareness of life and an understanding of that life. Depending on the level of mindfulness wisdom at any time, the way of life will be on a certain level. 
at certain periods in human history, the level of satipanya is low. And so the way of life adhered to in that time is also on a rather low or coarse level. The understanding, the awareness of suffering, of dukkha, and the understanding of this mental disease at certain times is quite low. It's not very deep or profound, and so the way of life then is correspondingly not highly developed. But then at other times, things change, as they always must, and the awareness of dukkha, the understanding of mental disease, develops. And in this time, there is much more, uh, much more highly developed mindfulness wisdom. And then the way of life correspondingly changes to suit the much more profound and refined level of understanding of people in this later or this other time. And so we could view all periods of human history and see different levels of mindfulness and wisdom leading to different ways of life, some of them quite crude and others very highly refined and very profound. Buddhism is of the later category. It's a very refined and highly developed awareness and understanding of the problem of human suffering, of mental illness, mental disease, mental unease. It's in fact the, the pinnacle of this understanding. And so in order to understand this highest form of development in mindfulness wisdom, we would like to look at different levels of understanding that have taken place within human history in order to better understand the highest level, the most profound way of life that is able to completely eliminate this thing we call suffering. In the scriptures, there is mention of different levels of religious understanding. And this directly corresponds also with things that have been written about in modern scholarship, in modern comparative religion, which has studied all sorts of different religious manifestations within the world. And this corresponds directly with some things written in the scriptures. We can see that there have at different times been different levels of understanding, of wisdom, and different types of ways of life. And so we'd like to look at three levels or three different forms, three different periods of spiritual understanding. The first level, the lowest, corresponds to when people were living in a very undeveloped state. They were, people then were either not quite yet human or barely human. Their way of living, their civilization was, was quite low and undeveloped. 
these people had a very low level of satipanya. They weren't highly aware, they didn't have a highly developed sense of understanding of the way the world worked and their place within it. Because of this, there was a lot of fear. They were living very dependent on what they could find, what they could gather in scrounge within the forest or the jungle. They, they didn't have the knowledge to cultivate things, so they would just wander around hunting and gathering what they could. And in the forest, with this dependence, there were many frightening things, many natural events taking place which these people could not at all understand. They didn't have the, the wisdom to understand these things. And so there are many things to be afraid of. And what they did was they developed certain beliefs. They developed a belief system which would allow them to, to lessen their fears, to get over the fears they had of a lot of natural things that they couldn't explain. And so in this way, because of their fear and then their beliefs with, with which they reacted to those fears, they developed one level of religion or one level of, of understanding which led to a way of life at that particular time. This is the, the lowest level of spiritual awareness and understanding. Now in the first era of human spiritual development, people were basically aware of only external things. They were aware of the environment and natural, very material, physical things around them that made up their lives. But they still had no real sense of any internal life. They're still very much living in a physical way and their understanding was a physical phenomena. And so they were very, they were not very highly developed in the way of awareness and wisdom. And so all they could rely on was a bunch of beliefs or we would, might say, superstitions. But in the second period of, of development, the second level, man began to, or mankind, humanity, began to become aware of an internal aspect to life, began to not only be aware of the external, but began to look inside and begin to take a look at what was happening in the mind and in the heart and to understand these things. When this, when this period began to take place, when it started to evolve, humanity started to look within and realize that, that suffering, that pain, wasn't so much an external phenomena, but it was internal within the mind that pain and suffering were not externally caused, but they arise internally. And so with this development in awareness and wisdom, people started to look for ways to control the mind so that the mind would not suffer. And in this way, there, 
of a number of mental experiments, or we could say psychological experiments, were performed as people discovered various techniques and systems and practices for controlling the mind, to master the mind in a way that it would not give rise to, to mental uneasiness or mental disease, mental pain. This is the second era of, of human development. In this second period of spiritual evolution, which concentrated on controlling the mind, or we could say on willpower, what was considered to be the highest level of development of this, this level of understanding is what are known as the divine abodes. In India, these are called the Prama or Brahma Vihara, the, the abodes, the dwellings of Brahma. Brahma is the, the highest level of, of God, of God. And so these are the highest, the, the divine, the most exalted dwelling places. These four abodes or dwellings are metta, friendliness, garuna, compassion, mudita, sympathetic joy, and ubeka, equanimity. In controlling the mind, the highest level of development was to control the mind to dwell in these four divine abodes, for the mind to dwell in friendliness rather than anger and hatred, in compassion into a feeling of wanting to help other, other creatures, other beings, in sympathetic joy, the dwelling of being happy, to being joyful over the good fortune of others, and ubeka, the, the balanced, equanimous mind that isn't jumping to conclusions following its prejudices and opinions. These were the four Brahma Vihara or divine abodes which were considered to be the highest development of that period. And the belief was that the mind that dwelled in these abodes after death would be reborn in the, the Brahma world, the, the realm of the Brahma gods, which was the the highest of the various Hindu heavens or realms. And so by dwelling in these divine abodes, according to the thought at that time, one would be, after death, reborn in the highest possible level of existence. This was the highest development of this, the second period of the development of human wisdom. That first period lasted, we don't know how many tens, tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of years. And then there is this second period which lasted for many, for more thousands of years and history on these things is very sketchy so we can't say for sure. But eventually certain people began to understand that even this second development of 
willpower of mental control was not capable of eradicating all mental unease of all all internal sorrow pain and so forth and so it became necessary for further development and this we know as the third period of spiritual evolution in this period Satipanya, mindfulness wisdom, was even more refined. It had become refined and subtle enough to note that even very powerful forms of mind restraint, of self, of mastering one's own mind, that even these could not eliminate suffering, deep, deep levels of concentration and trances and things like this, could not eradicate all suffering. <clears throat> understanding had developed to this level and so in the third period of of development people started to look to use wisdom to look at this problem the first era was based in faith in belief the second era in willpower in mental control the third era or period was based in wisdom instead of just trying to get rid of the problem of suffering in the third era people began to face this mental unease began to look at it and examine it and study it to find out what it really was to really understand dukkha and then to see the cause of dukkha the cause of of pain where does mental unease pain, suffering really come from? And to look at the end, what does it mean? What is the state that is completely free of all suffering? And what is the, the path, the way of life that leads to that state of being completely free of all internal pain? This was the, the method of the third period of development the era of wisdom there are the three periods the first one based in faith in belief in in beliefs that could not be verified because people did not have the understanding with which to verify and so they just believed in things which would lessen their fears the second period was to learn how to control the mind so as to not to try and prevent the arising of suffering this was more successful but not completely so and thus there came about the third era where reasoning intelligence a very refined level of awareness in study of life gave rise to very highly developed wisdom this is the era in which buddhism developed Buddhism arose in the world in this third period of spiritual evolution. But we're not saying that Buddhism was the only form of, of, these, of wisdom, of these approaches based in wisdom. In the scriptures there is mention of six major sects or schools 
that were examining the problem of dukkha, of suffering, and looking for a way out of it. Buddhism was one of these six competing schools that, that arose in the era of wisdom. So this is the spiritual evolution that has taken place in which eventually gave rise to an, a climate, a spiritual intellectual climate in which Buddhism could arise. In the third era, the third period, which was based in wisdom, the, the goal was to discover ultimate truth. And through an understanding of the ultimate truth, use this wisdom or knowledge to destroy all suffering. At this period of development, people were understanding that suffering that all internal pain, all uneasiness, conflict, imbalance, and so forth within the mind arose out of ignorance, a lack of understanding about, about life. And so the approach in this period was to, to study nature, study the law of nature and the duty according to the law of nature, to study these until an understanding of nature arose and through examining these when wisdom concerning the ultimate truth arose powerfully enough then it was able to it would be able to destroy all suffering within the mind eliminate all causes of suffering and pain within the mind this was the third period of development the period to which Buddhism belongs you have all come here to Suan Mok in order to study Buddhism, not the other forms of spiritual endeavor. You've come here both to study the theoretical aspects of Buddhism as well as to begin practicing it. You can't have one without the other. Some people want just the theory without the practice or the practice without the theory but that's to get actually nothing first one must have a proper understanding of what this is all about about what Buddhism is why one would practice it what the goal is and how to achieve that goal this is absolutely necessary and so we are trying to provide you with information in which you can begin to develop the theoretical understanding. As this knowledge grows, then you will be able to apply it as practice. Just having knowledge isn't sufficient. One must be able to use that knowledge as a way of life. One must be able to actually live it. And so there are these two aspects to studying Buddhism studying the theoretical side, which is what we do in these talks, and then beginning to apply this, which is what the business of meditation is. Buddhism has some very exquisite explanations about how things are, and these can be very powerful ways of getting us 
on the right path in ways of helping us to save time and actually practice in a way that eliminates all suffering. And then there are some very powerful ways to apply this theoretical understanding. And the, the most powerful of these is called vipassana. Vipassana means insight. And it can mean both insight meditation, the meditation that is that leads to insight, and vipassana also means the direct personal experience of insight. Through vipassana practice, the mind is developed in such a way that it becomes possible for a deep insight into reality to occur. And this is the the way of wisdom, the path of wisdom. This is the only type of path that can completely eliminate dukkha, suffering, because it takes a deep understanding of truth, of reality, to eliminate the ignorance, which is the ultimate cause of all uneasiness, of all conflict within the mind. So this is what Buddhism is about. Now we've we've mentioned these three levels of development to show how how they are quite distinct. There are three definite emphasis. One is on faith, one is on mind control, and the third is on wisdom. And Buddhism falls into the third period or level of spiritual development. But at the same time, we must realize and we should accept with no, no reservations that all three levels are absolutely necessary, even in the so-called modern world. The state of human beings at this time requires that we have all three levels of spiritual development. There are many people in the world who do not have very highly developed levels of mindfulness and wisdom. Many people are living in a very unaware, very foolish way. We can begin with children. Children have not had much time to develop the ability to be aware of what's happening and to understand it. And so at least for children, it's necessary to have the, the, the level of religious experience based in faith. Then there are another group of people who see the limitations in the first level of understanding and have begun to develop the ability to control the mind. And through developing the mind, training the mind, and restraining the mind in different ways, they have used these techniques in order to free the mind of suffering. But then there are some who, who realize, well, that itself isn't enough also, that merely controlling the mind, merely willpower, isn't enough to free the mind from all pain, from all suffering. And so, therefore, it is necessary to develop wisdom, a deep, penetrating understanding of nature and the law 
of nature. So we have to accept that all three levels are natural, that there are just many people in the world who are only able to use the first level of satipanya, that of faith. There are others who are able to to practice and live the second level of satipanya. And there are some who are able to move on to the third level. So the question is not which one of these is best, but just which one is appropriate for each of us. We can practice the level of faith and see how successful that is for us. If we find that faith alone cannot solve all suffering, then we begin to apply the techniques of mind control, of which yoga is the most developed developed form. This is as high as yoga can go, is in developing ways of controlling the mind so that dukkha won't be able to arise when these techniques are being applied. We can, we can experiment with these, but if we find that even this second level of Siddhipanya is insufficient, then we need to turn to the third level of Siddhipanya, of mindfulness wisdom, which is based in wisdom, in understanding, in getting to the bottom of things. Now you've come to Suan Mok, and here we're interested in the third level of Siddhipanya. If you're only interested in the other levels, you'll have to go somewhere else to get help with them. When you come to Suan Mok, you've, you come to a place where we study and practice the third level of spiritual understanding that, that is based in wisdom, in studying reality, in studying nature, especially the internal reality, and then using the knowledge that arises from that study to eliminate the cause of dukkha, of suffering. And so this is the business or the work that we do here at Suan Mok. It's up for you to find out which level of practice is appropriate to you. So today's talk, we've we set forth to talk about the particular characteristics of Buddhism. And we've mentioned these three levels of spiritual development to, and shown which one, the third one, is particularly the domain of Buddhism. And so now you have a, a clear idea and understanding of what Buddhism is essentially about and the basic means, the basic way it approaches the, the problem of suffering. And this is the path of wisdom. So we hope that this is a good beginning for your, your theoretical understanding of what Buddhism is about, that you will be more successful in applying in practicing the, the way of life that we are talking about here. And so we will end today's talk at this point.